0: Hey everybody, John here. I just want to remind you that you can always reach me at covertcontact@protonmail.com. At I get email from all over the world. I love hearing from you. Tell me what you like about the show. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what you'd like to see covered. If you have some guests that you'd like to see on the show, let me know their names. And if you'd like to be on the show yourself, reach out. Let me know.
1: Welcome to Covert Contact from Blogs of War, where each week, your host, John Little, takes a deep dive into the national security, intelligence, and technology stories that are shaping our world.
0: All right, welcome to Covert Contact, episode 115. I am your host, John Little. It's Thursday, so that means William Tucker is back.
1: Oh, thanks for having me again. Uh,
0: just a word for the audience. Both of us are a little bit under the weather, but we're, we're going to make this happen. Anyway, uh, we'll edit out, you know, any of us like choking or anything like that, uh, before we release this. So, uh, not as busy a week as we've had over the past several weeks. Um, we don't have like five indictments, uh. This week, uh, but uh, there are still things happening. There's been some interesting analysis in the media on, on the conflict between the U.S. and China uh, in terms of, you know, this espionage battle. Uh, and we have some campaign stuff in the news. So uh, Microsoft just released a report that said that Russia, China and Iran are targeting uh, folks associated with both campaigns. And don't think either one of us are surprised by that.
1: Nope. Sounds like a typical Thursday. <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah, I, I mean, for those who, who don't know, I mean, we're, we're obviously familiar now with the 2016 um, uh, issue with Russia, the uh, the Mueller report and all that. But it's important to understand that there's always been something called malign foreign influence in U.S. elections going back uh, decades. You know, there's uh, there's a good thing on, for reading. I, I call it light reading. It's it's obviously not. But if you go to the uh, the CIA library online, and you can look up the uh, Venona project, V uh, E N O N A, and you can see some of the um, some of the attempts at that time by the uh, it was a, it was the Communist Party of America. There was some Soviet influence there, uh, where they were actually approaching individuals uh, that they believed that they could co opt within the uh, U.S. government. Uh, and these were politicians. Uh, some of them, obviously, politicians. But um, you, and it, it's just a good example of how far back this this actually goes. Uh, what makes the 2016 and now this 2020 campaign a little more unique is that um, we're just using that that new nifty, sexy cyber vector. Um, and everybody likes to say cyber for some reason.
0: It's cyber, cyber, um, cyber.
1: Yeah, um, but uh, it's it's still it's the same old game. It's just using a new vector to try and get uh, get inside campaigns to spread influence, disinformation, that sort of thing. So this is an age old game. Um, unfortunately, it's it's become a a campaign issue uh, between the two uh, major parties, which is which really unfortunately screws up a lot of uh, good analysis and good discussion of this issue. But uh, it is what it is. Politics. But yeah, no. so no, this isn't surprising whatsoever.
0: So Microsoft has a, has a really good uh, internal team for dealing with this kind of stuff. There's a lot of debate going on around this story about, you know, which countries are, are favoring, uh, are, are focusing and attacking which candidate and what that means. And I don't know what your take on it is, but I look at that with a lot of skepticism. You know, they say if, you know, China is primarily focusing on Biden. Or, 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 you know, Iran is mostly focusing on Trump or Trump, Trump officials. It's hard for me to believe that they wouldn't work all angles of this. And these are just, this just happens to be what we're detecting.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And, and as you know, any, um, any time you use a cyber vector, there's going to be so many thousands, if not millions of hits on some of these, uh, um, whatever server you're using. So if you're using, say, a, a dedicated campaign server you know that's going to get pinged uh, immensely it, it just is everybody's looking for those ways in but one of the things that i think it's important to point out with um, with something like this is we can't always focus on who's attacking which candidate or which yeah. country is trying to bolster a candidate it's, it's kind of normal stuff instead what we have to focus on is the reason why they're doing this is to under uh, undermine our confidence in our Institutions. That's really what this comes down to, yep. uh, and and disinformation does that and it works quite well. I mean, how many how many decades has it been since the uh, uh, the East Germans put out that nonsense about the CIA uh, creating HIV? Right, and it's still out there.
0: It's really unfortunate because yeah, like this is a really good point. I mean, it's a it's an attack on our entire process, uh, and unfortunately, the environment is. So fractured and so politicized right now that we're not we're not looking at it like that. I mean, there are there are folks and you know more at the ground level uh, working on some of these issues that are, but it, it gets politicized way too quickly.
1: Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, but the good thing is, is when some of these things are investigated, if it gets to the point where you actually have to open a specific case, say into an individual, then that becomes something a little little more tangible and perhaps a little bit more open to criticism. And, uh, of course, we've seen that. But um, it, it's one of those things, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a politician that wants to talk to somebody and is looking for a little influence. So um, that's that, that's just the nature of it. But also, yeah, it's, it, really, it is unfortunate that uh, the current environment is just not conducive to good, rational discussion of these issues.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm still surprised that we're talking about this like it's a a novel or surprising thing i mean to to imagine that that hostile states wouldn't use i'm gonna say it cyber to undermine a process like this is just incredibly naive i mean we should be working with the assumption that they are all of them are and they always will be and it's not you know it's not something that ha- that started in 2016 although you know i mean obviously we're seeing a scale issue and things like that but th- this needs to be part of our persistent conversation and and preparedness for uh conducting elections
1: yeah I, we can't harden the systems or the institutions without having a good discussion about it i that's that's obvious um and we and we really need to have that discussion but i will say um, and kudos, obviously, to Microsoft, and you mentioned that they have a really good team. But obviously, they're also not the only ones that are doing this. Right? Uh, that there's a lot of private U.S. companies that have decided to set this up on their own, um, and a lot of them do not have that government contract or that government, um,
0: I guess, push to say, "Hey, you need to look at this." They've
1: kind of done it on their own.
0: Yeah, this is all about you know securing their platforms and. That's where a lot of these attacks are taking place, right? They're taking place on private platforms um, and, and web-facing services, right? So there are dozens, if not hundreds, of companies that are in some way working on uh, election security.
1: Yeah, So, it, and I, I don't mean to insinuate that it's altruistic, because I'm, I'm sure part of it is. But there's also, yeah, you have to protect your brand and I know I've said that on this podcast repeatedly, when we talk about that insider threat is it's protecting your brand. Um, and now you have these, uh, these foreign threats like that. It's again, it's something that one, you have to protect your brand, but there's also a, uh, it's just good business sense to, to take the initiative on your own, be as open as you can about it. Cause otherwise you're going to be facing down legislation that'll be poorly written by people who don't understand the threat or who don't understand the technology trying to tell you how to do something. So, yeah, I, I can see that they're trying to head that off. I don't know if they'll be successful in it, but um, we'll, just, we'll just have to see.
0: Now, if we could just get U.S. universities to uh, be that proactive. There's more news this week with uh, the U.S. canceling over 1,000 visas for Chinese nationals. Uh, many of these are graduate students and researchers. Uh, and that you know, of course, uh, if anyone has listened listened to the last several episodes, well, we have a lot of problems in that arena,
1: yeah, more than a couple, and I, and I know we have hit on the on this visa issue, and just the disruption basically is what this is, right? Um, but this is I think there's a good good uh, point to be made that the government really needs to be a little bit more open about um, what they're looking at and how they're going about it. it this is, this is something that's, uh, I, I think one of the few aspects that's really bugged me about it because I know this has been a problem for a long time, but, uh, the outreach to the universities has actually been outstanding. I know the FBI has complained on numerous occasions, um, that they've been robust by universities in trying to harden these issues. Um, but there's going to be, there's going to that break point and we're probably already there where it's going to be cooperate or you're going to lose a lot of revenue because we can't trust you to uh, function with uh, any of these national security uh, systems so anything with a grant from DOD or the Intel community um, we may have to simply bar you from it Uh, and it's and it's not unprecedented. It has happened. Uh, we've seen professors in the past go to prison because they refuse to abide by export compliance, uh, in the U S. So, again, this is something that, um, one, they need to be clear on, but they also, I think they're doing a fair, fairly good job considering the scope of this. Um, and again, it comes down to disruption because you can't prosecute everybody, but you look for those, you look for those, um, those indicators that something is amiss, And we see a lot of that with these guys lying on their visa applications coming into the U S saying, no, I have no military affiliation. Uh, just ignore those Facebook photos of me in my PLA uniform.
0: Right. It would benefit the universities in the long run if they would, um, more aggressively cooperate with, uh, federal officials on this. Not only are they potentially going to have, um, you know, contracts, uh, lose contracts and things like that related to national security projects. But this is also going to be increasingly disruptive to, um, you know, pro- research programs that they have. And, you know, you could look at years of work and millions of dollars going down the drain uh, because of a sting operation or, you know, folks getting busted or whatever. Or not, not to mention all of that IP just going back to China.
1: Yeah, and I I know, and I, you and I were discussing this article that was uh, posted on nature.com um, about, they, they kind of covered this, but one of the things in that, that article that um, bothered me a little bit is that they only reached out to the academic side of it. They didn't really reach out to government to discuss this. And even there, and the experts that they quote that come from academia uh simply didn't have a correct understanding of what was happening and what was going on. And you can tell that by the quotes. And then there was one passage in there where they said, uh, where they quote experts, but they don't say who these experts are, what institutions they work for, anything like that, what their experience is. Uh, so we don't even know that they're experts. They're right. just, it's just a generic. Yeah. Um, and that drives me nuts to no end in any news article, but <laughs> be that as it may, um, yeah, it, it does show that there's a that there's also a little, there's still a willful ignorance about this issue, too, on the side of academia, and that needs to be corrected.
0: One of the interesting things in that report, though, um, was that uh, Nature, you know, surveyed what, 100 million publications um, and found uh, over 12,000, I think, that were co-authored by scientists in the United States and... Uh, researchers in China that had affiliation with um, Seven Sons universities, which you know have ties to the Chinese military. Um, so the you know the this runs really really deep.
1: Yeah, it certainly does. And one of the things that that's being targeted right now by the feds, and they've been again very blunt about this, is those talent recruiting programs where some of these people from the U S or other Western nations are paid by the Chinese government to work on some of these things. Um, so, and then you have these U S professors that do this, that take it, that sign that contract, and then they don't disclose that tie, um, when they're required to do so. And we've already seen a few arrested for, for failure to do that. Um, you can argue how, how, the, the, I guess, the scope of this thing all you want, but when somebody lies to the FBI, you're still lying to the FBI. Um, it, it, you know, people that are making money from the Chinese government, if they don't have a reason to lie, um, then certainly they can disclose it, but I don't, under, I don't understand that. It's, it's like there's, there's still that refusal to believe that a foreign government would use academia to poach research. It's it's baffling, <laughs> it's astonishing, really.
0: Uh, it's incredibly naive. I've worked with folks in academia who were really reluctant to uh, to admit that themselves, and they they have these incredibly um, nice people, like incredibly altruistic motives, want to you know distribute research far and wide to every uh, to every corner of the world possible for the better of mankind. But meanwhile, the folks stealing it don't, don't necessarily work, uh, work on the same set of values or they at least don't have the same motivation.
1: Yeah. And that's certainly true because even if the researcher who is poaching that, um, is trying to be altruistic, you don't know who's pushing that. You don't know if the government is pushing that. You don't know what, the, uh, what they have on that individual was this simply a request to help the motherland or is this something more um, i don't know a little more dubious where right. they're threatening family members and I, I know we've touched on that but yeah it's it is it's a significant problem um, and it's I, I hate to say it but The longer this disruption goes on without any help from academia to really step up and try and correct these issues, the more disruptive and problematic it's going to be.
0: You know who else it hurts, too, is uh, the legitimate researchers who are not doing anything illegal and and the grad students. It's going to further limit their ability to pursue education or participate in research here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would point out one more thing here with this. So, in the Nature article, again, they do cite a few individuals who were uh, accused of espionage in some form. We'll we'll just phrase it that way. Right. And uh, of course, there's a little bit of uh, they view it with a bit of skepticism. Which I, okay, sure, that's that's fair enough. But um, the way these things happen, and the way the the FBI key, um, really keyed in on these individuals, was likely through what we call a complaint type uh, investigation. In other words somebody saw something and reported that. So in other words, this was behavior. This was somebody maybe emailing research to their personal email address that they're not authorized to do. So something, something tipped this off. Okay. So it's not the FBI just reaching out to anybody who has a Chinese surname and targeting that individual. No, That's what tipped off the case was that somebody saw something that was wrong. Okay. And that's what these things They don't just manifest out of thin air. So, and that, you, and that what that tells me is that somewhere along the line, either the individual was ex- exercising poor tradecraft or somebody, uh, one of their co-researchers saw them doing something they weren't supposed to, saw a trend there and reported it. So, um, no, this is not something that is, uh, again, the FBI picking on the Chinese. No, it's not that at all. There's, there's evidence of this. And prosecuting espionage is difficult in the best of times. So when you're dealing with something like this, sometimes, again, I'll, I'll repeat myself and say it's, it's about disruption or it's about that uh, looking for the things, the low-hanging fruit that you can prosecute somebody or at least get them to turn over on you and say, hey, okay, yeah, I was doing it. Uh, here's who I'm working with. Who's, here's my handler. Here's where I'm emailing it. This is how the whole thing works. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot more to it than, uh, than what I, I would say is portrayed in the media. And this is one of those things where I would throw it back to the FBI and say, you need to do a better job with your public affairs and get out and get the word out how this actually works. okay? because it will not undermine your investigation. It will simply demonstrate quite clearly what you're trying to do, what you've seen, how that's working. Um, And and we know the director, uh, the FBI, Director Ray, isn't exactly shy about talking about that. So, um, yeah, this is something that I, I think the FBI could certainly do a better job of.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, more clarity around the entire scope of this, right, including, like, what kind of folks should be coming here, what kind of folks should not, <laughs> you know, what the process is for, um, you know, sort of vetting that and, um, you know, what the role roles of universities are in this. and I mean, the entire process, I think, could use beefing up
1: yeah and and one of the things I will point out like I mentioned, and I don't mean to pick on nature with this this is actually a decent article um, but for like the five minutes a week that I spend on Twitter, you can find any number of people who have worked in the intelligence community who have worked federal law enforcement um, and they're followed by the course major correspondents who focus on national defense that sort of thing so there's really You you really have to put a little bit of effort. Even if it it takes you 60 seconds to Google somebody, they're out there, and you can actually reach out to these experts and get an idea of how this works. I mean, we do this every week, and uh, I don't know if you've had any media inquiries on how that works, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if you told me, no, it really wouldn't because it's it just seems real lazy work sometimes
0: I think a lot of what we see in this entire dynamic is that that divide between um, intelligence and federal law enforcement and academia that's just sort of ingrained um, there in some ways they're not always um, at least I mean there you know there are pockets of deep collaboration we're not talking about Texas A&;M here yeah uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, but there there are many places where uh, schools and communities are not, they're just not comfortable. It's not second nature for them to reach out and seek uh, for guidance or help uh, or even open that can of worms, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, and uh, sure, some of that could be institutional, but um, some of it is just simply an unfamiliarity with what, you know, what am I looking at? What, who do I even talk to if I see something weird? Yeah, there's, there's certainly that. And this is where um, that government outreach really, really needs to step up the game and yeah. take a look. At I'm not saying they're not doing it, but it's very hard to say, hey, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. it is. It really is. But um, sometimes, you know, you, you, you really have to bite the bullet and go in there and, and say, before you have a problem, here's some things that we're seeing elsewhere. You should be aware of it, you know, and. And maybe maybe that'll be enough. I don't, you know, who knows. But uh, it, it's something that you have to make the effort.
0: Yeah, we tend to do these things in surges, right? And that's the thing is, uh, uh, it sort of has to be persistent. And it's, it's, you know, in the FBI's case, it's amazing how much outreach is is needed, right, across like the spectrum of what they do. So it's, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the challenge of that. Um,
1: yeah, well, when you consider there's, what, like 10,000 special agents at any given time, um, and they don't all work espionage, obviously. Right. Um, and then your outreach, you're looking at academia, everything from, uh, let's just say, manufacturing to chemicals to medical, any industry that you can think of, yep. um, they have to touch. So, yeah, it's it's a daunting task, but it's one of those things where you have to sometimes just put out that blanket request hey we need help
0: uh, yeah and there's just there's still so many so many people and organizations who don't realize that that they can call the fbi and schedule a visit share their concerns and what they do and and start that conversation discreetly it doesn't necessarily mean that their lives and they you know everything's going to spin out of control and you know they're there primarily to protect companies and protect their their intellectual property and and organizations and they know how to do this and do it discreetly in a way that's not disruptive yeah they do if you're seriously concerned that you know everything is going to spin out of control when you engage the fbi then maybe you 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 have a larger problem right that That you need to acknowledge, and and, uh, and burying your head burying your head in the sand is it's not uh, going to advance the long term goals of your organization at all.
1: Yeah, and this is one of those things where you can also be a little proactive too, and, and reach out to some private security consultants. Um, and there there are some really good ones out there who do specialize in this sort of sort of thing, um, like insider threat, espionage, etc., cetera, uh, even sabotage. And they can talk you through a few processes. They can walk you through some of your policies. And that way you're not reaching out to the government and, you know, airing any dirty laundry that you may you may or may not have or may not realize you have. Um, but it's sometimes doing that and spending a few thousand uh, goes a long ways to mitigating uh, the long-term threat.
0: Yeah, and uh, that long-term threat comes from a lot of different angles right now, especially since there is so much proactive work being done here enforcement and disruption are, are are seriously ramping up so the time to get ahead of that is right now uh, because we we have uh, a long wave of of disruption and stepped up enforcement ahead of us I think
1: yeah yeah I think that's I think that's very accurate.
0: Well, uh, we'll wrap it up. I think this is the longest we can talk without keeling over. Anyway, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see what uh, we'll see what next week brings. Uh, but uh, hope you feel better. And thanks for uh, thanks for coming back to the show.
1: Oh, anytime. I hope you get to feeling better yourself. Thanks. You have been listening to Covert Contact from Blogs of War. This podcast is produced, written, and hosted by John Little. Follow John on Twitter at Blogs of War and join the conversation with hashtag CCBOW. Thanks for listening.